Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Well, good morning, Northwood, and happy new year to you. And it's great to have you here in the Lord's house. And uh, I really think uh, more people showed up for Christmas Day than even on New Year's Day. That's incredible. We had a great uh, service. Of course, we missed our pastor. Uh, was uh, As he uh, was struggling through some health issues, we think he's over it completely. He's headed on to New Orleans and uh, will be coming back uh, later on. So uh, be in prayer for him as he is gone. But I want to thank him for the opportunity to, to be able to preach. Uh, I come from a long line of People that like to talk, my granddad liked to talk a lot, uh, but I decided uh, by the will of God to become a preacher, and I love preaching. I knew when I came to Northwood, I wouldn't get to preach as much as I had because I was basically preaching three times a week. Uh, every week, got thousands and thousands of messages that I've written, and uh, so it is always an honor and a privilege to come and to speak to you that the Lord entrusts me with the Word of God, and uh, and I appreciate you coming and being a part of that. Even if you knew I was preaching, you showed up. And so that means a lot to me. Uh, had my mama here. And as always, when she, whenever I finish preaching, she said, son, that is the greatest sermon you have ever preached. And my answer is always, thank you, mom. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a mama. So I appreciate her loving my preaching. And my dear wife is here today. Hey, Kelly. Great to have her. And uh, we just finished up. Uh, I guess everybody's gone. Well, we got one family still left. But uh, we've had about 17 in our house almost every day. Uh, and we have a little uh, uh, 1,080-square-foot house with one bathroom. You heard it right, one bathroom, 17 people. So it got a little, uh, got a little tough there for a while, but uh, we made it through. Very thankful for that. And we love having the kids, especially, you know, the, we've had a little guys running around this big and some a little bigger, but it was just great to have them, and we don't get to see them often. Uh, it's just a privilege and to have that many grandkids. We have... I think it's uh, 14, right, Kelly? 14? I got it. She said I nailed it. 14 grandkids, and so uh, they weren't all here. Everybody said, well, that's a huge family. I said, well, my, the biggest family wasn't there. That's my son in Boston who's a missionary there. And uh, anyway, he has five kids with him and his wife. That's another seven. So it would have been 24, which it very possibly will be next year. So uh, we'll see how that works out and what we do with it. Well, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Uh, we're going to start in verse 41. We're going to go through to verse 50, maybe 52, but certainly to verse 50. And uh, we're going to try to talk about what it means to uh, start the new year. 
You know, we, this is a new year. It's the first day of the new year. And it's a great opportunity for us to kind of turn the page on last year and say, okay, God, what you got for me this year? Uh, maybe you had some struggles. Maybe you had some things going on. And uh, you, you really don't know where to look. You say, well, what does God have for me this year? I really am not clear about where I should be looking, what I should be doing, how I should be serving, where I should be, where I should go to church, how often I should be there. Should I come early? Should I go late? How does all that work? 9, 30, 11. You know, when you come to a church like Northwood, you have all kinds of opportunities. And it really is a privilege. But don't let it overwhelm you. Just get involved somewhere, wherever you are and whatever you do, get involved. So we need to be looking for what matters most. And that's what we're going to find in Luke chapter 2. I don't know if you heard the story of, uh, of one of the, one of the um, nations that has found the rest of it. Uh, we have seven continents. Is that not right? Seven continents. And they just found the eighth continent. It just happens to be underwater. And it's actually a place called Zealandia. Zealandia, it has been approved by the National or the International Geographic Society as it, when the water level goes down, which I guess they're telling us doing the opposite now, but when the water level goes down, there will be an entire continent underneath the South Pacific Ocean next to New Zealand. And New Zealand has claimed it as their own. So there it is right there. Uh, so all this will be Zealandia. And you see how big it is compared to Australia. So here's New Zealand, and this is just below the waterline. And when I say just below, a few hundred feet below the waterline, right there uh, next to Australia. So in case it ever goes down, New Zealand has first dibs on it. And they actually found what they were looking for. For many years, they were saying, hey, this is here. We want to claim it as ours. And they just wouldn't listen to them. So finally, they found this lost continent. They thought that they were looking for what matters most. But we all know what matters most when we look. Our keys. How many of y'all this week could not find your keys? Anybody here? Yeah, a lot of us. A lot of us. Couldn't find our keys. Do you know that we spend two and a half days a year looking for stuff like keys and wallets and cell phones? Two and a half days a year looking for lost stuff. Why do we look for it so, so much? Why do we just say, ah, I'll get another pair of keys? You know, I go down to the hardware store, Brother Johnny's hardware store, and, you know, I'll get the keys. Now they can even make the expensive keys down at the hardware store, you know? I'll just go down there and do that. It matters. We don't want to spend the money. We don't want to have to get new keys and then find them two days later. For men, that is the worst thing. You go and you finally say, okay, I got to get new keys. You go down there, and the day you get it done, you find your keys. Has that ever happened? All right. Happened to me. Why do we do that? Because really, we look for things that matter to us. Am I right? We look for things that matter. On average, we spend a lot of time wasting on that. But there's some things that we have lost last year, maybe the year before, and we've never really found again. Things like um, kind of lost your way. Your, the purpose and plan of God for your life. You, you kind of thought you had it together. You kind of thought you knew what you were doing. You kind of did that, but you, now you're kind of drifting. You're in discipleship. You finished up discipleship. You don't know where to go next. And 
You're not really having your time with the Lord like you were when you were in discipleship. You're, you're, you're kind of moving away. You're not coming to church like you used to. Yeah, you come most of the time, but you know, you got a lot of other stuff going on and you're tired and you kind of lost your way spiritually. Some of you have lost the will to produce the good life. You've gone out there and you've worked hard. You've started early. You've gone late. You get back to the house, you're exhausted, you go to sleep, you get up and do the same thing over and over again. And so you can have that two weeks of paid vacation or two weeks of vacation that you paid for at Orlando or on the cruise ship or going camping. And you think, this is what life is. I'm kind of burned out on all this. Kind of lost my way. Maybe some of you have lost your energy level. If you're like me, <laughs> I'm the youngest uh, 85-year-old you'll ever meet. I'm, I'm 62, but I feel 85. I've lost my energy level. I lost it many years ago through my uh, stroke. I lost a lot of energy at that time. Maybe you've lost your energy level because of your health, because that reason, or maybe you've just under a lot of stress. Maybe you just, you know, you're getting pounded every day at work or, or maybe you're in your family situation with your kids it's just beating you down every day and you're just exhausted. You know, we used to always brag about, man, I, you know, I stay up to two or three in the morning. Now I say, man, sometimes I can stay up till 10 o'clock at night, man. Sometimes I can stretch it and get to 10. Lost the energy level. Others of you feel like you've lost that spark in your marriage. It was a time when, you know, you had that spark and romance and, you love being with one another. It's not that you hate her or hate him. It's just, you know, it's just not the same. You've lost it. It's not what it used to be. Don't go out. When you go out for dinner, it's just kind of to eat. It's not to spend time with each other. You know, it's almost like you've become roommates, you know, in the same room, same house. Just no fun, no camaraderie. And surely the romance is gone. So maybe you're like that, or maybe it's something else that you feel like you've lost. Every one of us has been in that place where we feel like we've just lost something. And we're trying to find it. Jesus was in a situation where he had not lost something. He was the one who was lost. And his parents had lost him. Would you stand for me in the reading of God's word? Then we'll get right into the message. This is in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. I want you to notice the first two words here. Every year, his parents. Now remember, they had gone when he was born to Bethlehem. Now every year at Passover, they had gone back to Bethlehem, or to Jerusalem. They traveled to Jerusalem. By the way, Bethlehem is right outside of Jerusalem. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. And after those days were over, as they were returning, the, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming it was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 30, uh, 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? 
Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. To which Jesus answered, Why were you searching for me? He asked him. Didn't you know that it was necessary to be in my father's house? Some of the saddest words that Jesus probably heard as a boy, but they did not understand what he said to them. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for this precious Bible that we have to teach us about Jesus who can straighten us out when we've lost our way. Just like Mary and Joseph had lost their way. They had lost Jesus. Lord, when you speak to us today, may your spirit work in us and may we obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look for what matters most. Jesus is going to give us some examples here that we can follow. And First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 21 tells us that we are to follow in the steps of Jesus. He, Christ himself, left us an example to follow in his steps. So today we're going to answer two questions that can help us find what we have really lost. Now remember, the people of Israel expected, fully expected for the kingdom of God to be what? Come. They expected the Messiah to what? show up they expected all that and there were some people that really did see it and they understood it and they believed it gabriel told mary mary believed it that's what was so sad about the words there in verse 50 mary believed it when gabriel told what was going she was going to have a baby the multitude of angels the shepherds as the angels moved from as pastor tommy told us moved from the glories of heaven to this open hill in Israel and shouted glory to God in the highest peace on earth goodwill to those in whom his favor rests they understood it the shepherds now understood it the shepherds understood it so much that they left where they were and went down into Bethlehem down the mountain into Bethlehem which was not an easy trek and they knocked on doors till they found Jesus they would find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes or Folds of cloth. Some people have compared that to burial cloths. And they would knock on door after door saying, is the Messiah in there? He's supposed to be born. Nope, no Messiah here. Finally, they found him. What about Anna? She understood. She'd been there for 84 years and finally said that she could, go, she could, she could quit what she was doing. She was going to the temple every day looking for Messiah. What about Simon? Simeon? a resident of the city of Jerusalem. He was known as that righteous and devout man, and he was the one that said, this is the one. This is the one. He understood it. This little boy was Messiah. A boy. How unexpected was that? That he would be the Messiah. He was born, went home to Nazareth, lived 12 years among his own people, they sure didn't think him of Messiah because we know that later on in the Gospels. They made fun of him when he got back to Nazareth in the middle of his ministry. They knew him as a little boy. They said, surely that little boy could not be Messiah. So as we are looking for things that, that, that are right in front of us many times and we don't see them just like the rest of Israel didn't quite get it, like Simeon and like Anna and like the shepherds and like Mary and Joseph, we thought. 
They lost their way. They were looking for Messiah, but they were looking in all the wrong places. They were looking for a king to come and to conquer, a political king that would overthrow Rome. Where would you find that kind of king? You'd find him in a palace. Jesus didn't come from a palace. He was born among the poor, lived among the poor. Yes, he was of the lineage of David. But that held no water in the culture of Israel in that day. So let's ask a couple questions. First of all, do you know what you're looking for? Do you know what you're looking for? That means for most of us, we need to realize that we're not as close to Jesus as we should be or as we once were. So many of you have come to Christ and you, you know the Lord, you, you, know, you know him, and for the first few months of your salvation, for the first few months of your time with the Lord, man, you were pumped, you were excited, you were telling people about Jesus, you were reading the word of God, you wanted to know more about Jesus, but that's kind of, as my, one of my relatives once said, oh, that'll wear off when I first asked Christ into my life. Thank God it never did. But some of you, that's happened. Kind of worn off, hasn't it? Not as exciting as it used to be to follow Jesus. Just kind of go to work and do that work thing and come home and go to church when you have to. And Now we got a new year. A new year to kind of say, okay, God, what do you have for me this year? Well, I can tell you what he does have for you for you no doubt because there's not one person here that can't make a decision to say jesus i want to be closer to you than i've ever been before here's mary and joseph they had gone to jerusalem time after time to go to passover and knowing that they the understanding was the passover lamb was their son and they went to passover and they went every year it says and that was according to deuteronomy chapter 16 Verse 16, all of your males that appear three times a year before the Lord, your God in this place, festival of unleavened bread, that's Passover, festival of weeks and the festival of shelters. No one has appeared to the Lord empty-handed. Everyone must appear with a gift suited to his means according to the blessing the Lord gave you and given you. So here they are. They go to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover or for the feast of unleavened bread. And they went there and it was an exciting time. It was a blast. I mean, you got off work and you... Get the party together, a lot of relatives, a lot of friends, usually from the same place, and they'd leave where they were. This particular place was Nazareth, and they would go head down Jerusalem all together in a big old caravan. It took them days to get there. If it's 20 miles a day, if they could make 20 miles a day, which is kind of uh, ambitious, but if they could make 20 miles a day, then that meant that they, it was a 60-mile trek. It took them three days to get to Jerusalem from Nazareth. But it was fun. It was like going on a big camp, camp out, you know? They would camp outside of the road and on this, uh, what seemed like a long trek. That's how they walked. That's how, uh, excuse me, that's how they got there. They walked. They didn't have cars. We were in a bus and we were traveling all over. And by the way, that's a long trek, even in a bus. You say, when are we getting there? Uh, but that's what they did for three days. They'd taken the trek many times. And so now they were bringing their 12-year-old son who was looking forward to becoming a son of the covenant. He was looking forward to his first step into manhood. So Jesus would have been with the men, hanging out, 
talking about men's stuff, talking, showing them man scar. I always talk to grandkids, you know, when they scratch themselves or cut themselves. Oh, that's a good, you talk to the boys, say, that's a good looking man scar there, man. You're going to see that rest of your life. It, that's about being a man. So, you know, telling stories, the big fish they caught, Sea of Galilee or, you know, uh, whatever they were doing, you know, man stuff. So Jesus was with them, traveled down with them. Well, when they got there, obviously they kind of lost him. Now, I know this is probably stretching a little bit, and you can uh, chastise me afterwards, but can you imagine being Mary, okay? And she knows that she has born out of her womb the Son of God. She was a virgin and had a baby, and she knew it. And now he's gone. Look at verse, uh, let's see here. After three days, excuse me, verse uh, 45, when they did not, so uh, let me start again. <laughs> Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him, and after three days among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions, and all those who heard him were astounded. Well, so here is, they're looking for Jesus, and they cannot find him. So they've already traveled a day, and now they got to go back to find him. So how long is it going to take them to get back? You can tell me. One day to get back, right? And then how many days did they look for him in Jerusalem? Three days. So we're talking five days without Jesus. I can imagine how frantic Mary must have been. You see, we went to, we went to Disney World with my son, all my children, actually, but one of my sons, Ben, he just loved Disney World. I don't know if he's four years old, three years old, but not very old. And my wife can tell you the exact age because she's good at that stuff. But anyway, uh, but he was younger. And so we were going to go ride one of the water rides where it comes down and the water sprays up. And I was going to stand on the bridge while she rode with the kids. And, and so I, Ben didn't want to go. So he, Kelly was standing over there at the, right at, before you walk into it. And I said, Ben said, Daddy, I want to go. Daddy, I want to go. I said, okay, Daddy will stand right here and wait for you. And watch you get to mom. So he runs off, gets to that point, And I see him go in. I say, oh, he's got Kelly. All right. So I go and walk on, get on the bridge and wait for the thing to come over and spill water all over me and yell and scream when the kid's back. You got me wet. How dare you? You know, all the things dads do and all that. And so I was waiting on that moment. And so they did that. And they splashed all over me. And, and I was all pumped. And, and so then, you know, I'm soaking wet. And then Kelly comes out with all the kids in hand. And comes around the corner, and there's Ivy, and there's Addie, and was it Emmy too? I don't think it was Emmy. Ivy and Addie, but no Ben. No Ben. I said, where in the world is Ben? I said, you got Ben? She said, you got Ben? I said, no, I thought you had him. It was Brazilian day that day, so I kind of thought it would be kind of easy to find him because, you know, he's blonde hair, blue eyed, and Brazilian day, it'd be uh, brown skin and brown eyes, and I thought it'd be relatively easy, so we kind of span out trying to look for him, thinking he'd be right there. Well, he wasn't. He decided that we told him never talk to strangers, so when the cast members came to him and found out why this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy is running around uh, Disney World all by himself, you know, that they would try to get his parents' name or get his name and then page us or something so that we could be found. And, but it never happened because he would never get close enough for them to ask. So they herded him around Disney World, herded him. 
And he was walking in between them all, and there Kelly and I were standing, and here comes Ben being herded by, the, by these cast members straight to us. But I got to tell you, I lost 10 years of my life in that one hour that he was gone. It was horrible. And here Mary has been without Jesus for five days. Can you imagine? God gave me one job, and I can't find Jesus. She was frantic. Maybe you feel a little frantic in your life. God gave you one job, and that's to get close to Jesus. You see, if you want to get close to Jesus, if you want to get close to God, excuse me, you've got to go through Jesus. You've got to get to Jesus. Let me tell you a couple things, the don'ts that you don't want to do. Do you know what you're looking for? Well, here's some of the don'ts. Don't rely on the advice of friends for answers. Now, I love my friends, but a lot of times they got terrible advice. Am I right? You know, they kind of agree with you. I think I'm going to jump off the bridge. Well, you know, uh, there's a lower one you can jump off of, you know? Why don't we go to that one? Um, whatever it is, you know, it's kind of, and even when they seem to give good advice, they're just kind of agreeing with you. Well, that guy's a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. Oh, I love him so much. Oh, I love him too. He's wonderful. You know, whatever you kind of go. So I say, well, I, but they do have good advice sometimes. So I would probably revise this to don't always rely on the advice of friends. All right. Number two, don't look in self-help books for the answers. I know that uh, you go to Barnes and Noble, they got entire bookshelves, 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 bookshelves of self-help books. And we go there to find when we're going through a struggle, how do we get out of that struggle? So we go to the self-help section of, of Barnes & Noble. Or don't, look, uh, don't make an open window for an escape. The reason I say this is because it doesn't allow you to trust God when you always have to have a way out. Be careful about always trying to find a way out. I don't mean in a room. I mean out of the situation. You know, I got this going here so that if that happens, for instance, let's do financially, you know, I got this little thing here that I'm not going to spend on the Lord's work or not, that I'm not going to spend on my family, that I'm going to kind of hoard to myself because if something was to happen, I want to have that little, what we call nest egg that nobody knows about but me so I have a way out. Don't feel sorry for yourself. That's my big deal. I kind of jump off the deep end when struggles get bad. I kind of think, oh my goodness, it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse. And my wife says, there you go, jumping off the deep end again. You Probably none of you do that, but I do it. So these are some don'ts, but there are also some do's. I think we can also find out this. You know, there's some do's that can really help us. I think the first one is look for Jesus while you pray. You see, um, my, my, we shot fireworks last night. Anybody here shoot fireworks? All right, good, good. You're good American people. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, we shot fireworks. Now, our fireworks with our kids are always the quiet ones. You know, we do the sparklers, you know, the long sparklers, and we do the uh, uh, thing that does the shower stuff and Roman candles, but they don't make noise. We don't shoot the boom, boom stuff because the kids would be screaming and running around and running back in the house, and then I'd be all by myself out there. So we always do the quiet stuff. And so uh, one of my grandkids got something in his eye. We think it was either dirt or maybe a piece of ash or maybe smoke. We don't know. But anyway, he just goes crazy. You know, when we were younger, we just went, we did that. We got something in our eye. We didn't know what to do. So I'm, of course, immediately offering all kind of stupid advice, you know. And thank God my daughter and son-in-law have more common sense than me. And they said, let me just calm him down. And so they moved him away from the situation. And Grandpa, trying to figure out what to do, just got him quiet, got him uh, where they needed him to be. And I began to pray. Just that prayer calmed me down, just that alone. Why? Because when you're, when you're in the presence of God, it has a calming effect. 
So don't underestimate what prayer can do for you in the moment itself. Don't underestimate. All right. Look for Jesus in your Bible. You know, we talk about the Bible a lot. I believe the Bible. There's probably not a person here that I said, do you believe the Bible? Everybody raise your hand. But is the Bible a part of your life? Every day. Are you willing to spend that extra 15, 20 minutes a day getting up, finding, finding Jesus in the Word of God, developing that relationship, finding out about Him? It's worth it. How about looking for Jesus with eternity in view? Looking for Jesus with eternity in view. You see, when you're going through the struggles and the pains and the hurt, don't forget that that's God working in you so that he can use you to accomplish his will in his way for eternity. That's what God's doing. There's a poem written. It was written by Old Anonymous. I tried to find who wrote it, never, never did say. But I wanted to read it to you because this is what, how God works. When God wants to use a man... When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God seeks to mold a man and play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his method, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects those he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses, which every purpose fuses him and every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about, how he ruthlessly perfects those whom he royally elects. The next time those struggles come, that's how God is bringing the dross out of the refining fire of the trial that you're facing for eternity's sake. There's so much so that Paul said these words. He said, don't even think about these light momentary afflictions. Now, what were Paul's light momentary afflictions? Beatings. Stonings left for dead under a pile of stones. Shipwrecked and left to die. Hated by just about everyone in the government. The Judaizers. His former brothers in the Sanhedrin. Hunted down, tracked down everywhere he went. Ridiculed and scorned. These light, momentary Afflictions. Why? Because they cannot even be compared to the glory that awaits us. That's eternity in view. That's eternity. And eventually Paul would have his head removed from his body and go to be with his Lord. And he could truly say, it is far better for me to be with the Lord. When he had those struggles, he wanted to go be with Jesus. Also say, look for Jesus with a fellowship of believers. 
You know, at our church, thank God, if you're looking for a church, Northwood is one of those churches. We have great fellowship. Uh, it's just, you know, when I walk in and everybody's yakking around the coffee, I'm telling you, I just, man, my heart just soars. I love that. Everybody just carrying on out there in the lobby. Uh, I, it just, it's just moving. I know that y'all having a good time and it's not always, you know, I know we're not talking about necessarily the Bible, but just to know that brothers and sisters love to be together, you know, but I want you, I do want you to know that fellowship, real true spiritual fellowship is more than just talking about Mama's casserole from yesterday. It's more than just talking about the football games. Although we did, I did this morning. It's more than talking about, you know, where the kids were and what they did and how they're doing and all these things that we talked about in the lobby, all these things I've talked about this morning. It's more than that. It is, fellowship is found around the Word of God. We do that in what we call life connection groups. Brothers and sisters, if you're not a part of a life connection group, you are missing out on a huge part of the Christian walk. It's not just about showing up on Sunday morning and warming up you. It's about having a relationship with other believers that can encourage you and build you up and pray for you, care for you. Talk about the Word of God together. There's nothing more exciting as I'm, you know, going around the Life Connection groups, and I know that's not exciting to y'all because I always interrupt you. <laughs> I'm called the great interrupter. But it's just exciting to hear, and I walk in, and they're going at it. And I have to wait on them to quit discussing the Word of God together. I love it. Absolutely love it. Please. Look for Jesus in a fellowship of believers. Jesus died for his church, and there was a reason that he did, because we need each other. Look for Jesus in your relationship with him. Develop that ongoing, close, loving relationship with Jesus. It's how we get to know him. It's how we find him. It's how we develop that closeness, and it's daily. It can't just happen once a week on Sunday morning where you leave your Bible in your in your chair and come get it when you get back the next Sunday. That's never going to happen. That ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Look for Jesus. He matters the most. And you find him in these, you find him here. First question. Do you know what you're looking for? Second question. Do you know where to look? Do you know where to look? Jesus is the only way that you will ever have access to the Father, as we've said before. If you want to get to the Father, you've got to find Jesus. If you want that relationship with God, and I love, you know, I love talking about God, and I'm glad for God and, and God the Father and all that he is and what he has done, but my friend, you only find the Father when you get close to Jesus. Look at what the, the Bible tells us. Going back down to the passage we've already read, uh, jump into verse, uh, let's see, uh, verse 47. And those who heard him were astounded. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son of why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And by the way, that anxiously means almost out of their minds looking for him. You can imagine, five days searching for you. And then he answers, why were you searching for me? And he asked them, don't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. I'm in my father's house. I'm doing my father's will. Here's Jesus in the temple, astounding the greatest doctors in Jewish religion and the law. 
the men that were in the temple for that purpose. And here Jesus is answering their questions, asking them questions, and astounding them. That's a big deal. Now Mary and Joseph are astounded too, but for totally different reasons. They're astounded because they finally found him. And what's Jesus' answer? I'm with my father, which is a huge, huge declaration. This declaration is made saying, I am now, I am proclaiming to everyone listening, all these doctors, all these rabbis, all these teachers, everyone standing in the crowd, I am proclaiming in the temple where God is closest to man, where we have always sought God at the temple because God is in the Holy of Holies with his people there. And I am proclaiming that he's my father and I'm his son. I'm the son of God. The first declaration in the gospel who Jesus was, claiming to be the Son of God. Not a Son of God, but the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. And he proclaims it. The sad thing is, is that for five days they'd look. Now, I don't know why they look where they looked. I don't know if they looked by the side of the road thinking he might have tripped. I don't know if they got to Jerusalem and said, let's go back to, uh, you know, where we had food, uh, picnic. He had a good time out there playing with the kids. Maybe he thought he'd find more kids there. I don't know if they went to the lo local uh, place where they kept lost kids, maybe an orphanage or something, uh, and went there and said, well, y'all found Jesus. I don't know if they, if they got to, uh, you know, a, a lake where he maybe enjoyed swimming or a, a river or something or they um, maybe they went to the palace because after all joseph and mary were both in the lineage of who david he was a king he was a king the king of the jews the magi called him Maybe he was in the palace, and they went to the palace. Just, I don't know why they would do there. Because the who was in the palace? Herod. What did Herod try to do to Jesus? Kill him when he was a baby, a little boy. But he wasn't in the palace because he was never going to be a political king. It was never intended for him to be a political king. He said, "This kingdom that I have is not of this world." Finally, as a last resort, said maybe. They started thinking about it. Who knows? The Passover lamb would be where the Passover lamb was sacrificed. And they finally went to the temple. And he was in the last place they looked. Days. They didn't know where to look. And my concern is for our church and for us as believers that many times we're looking in all the wrong places, whether it's in the self-help books or whether it's with our friends or, or whether it's with Dr. Phil on the TV. We look in all the wrong places for the answers when the answer is found in the gospel and the gospel is Jesus Christ dying for our sins that we might have eternal life, rising the third day and being our Savior and our Lord and having that ongoing, loving, close relationship, whether you're 12 or whether you're 
82 or 112, it doesn't matter. He wants that ongoing, loving relationship with you and with me. Why do I look in all the wrong places? Mary and Joseph were guilty of that very same thing. So I'm asking you, where do you look? How do you know that God is at work? I want to show you a couple ways and then we're going to be done. You want to find me? He says, one translation says, I'm in my Father's will. So if you want to find me, I'm going to be in my Father's will. I'm going to be where my Father is. Jesus talked about over and over again how he wanted to be in the Father's will. He said, your will be done on earth. I do not seek my own will, but seek the will of him who sent me. For I have come down to heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, John 8, uh, 6, 38. Yet not what I will, but what you will, Mark 14, 36. And so he announces what he announced, his true identity as the Son of God there in that place. So, a lot of us here, we're saying, you know, I want to I do the will of God, but I don't quite know how to. So let's look at a couple ways you can do. And it goes back to what we're talking about, this love, ongoing love relationship. Having that love relationship with God is so important that you have that relationship with God. Ongoing, loving, caring. Have that, that daily time with him. Know and obey the revealed will of God. You know, we say we don't know the will of God, but we're not willing to do what it already says that we're supposed to be doing. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. How, where do we know the commands? They're out of here. That's the revealed will of God. Do that. You say, well, it doesn't say whether I should work at Bosch or Volvo. Exactly. But you do the revealed will of God, got a place in your heart where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. I don't know who I'm supposed to marry. Marry Sally or, or Samantha. I'm just not sure. It doesn't say. But you develop that close relationship with God. God reveals it. Number three, look for where God is at work around you. Look for where God is at work around you. God has placed you in his kingdom right exactly where he wants, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your school, with your friends, your hobbies. Look for God at work. You're going to hear things like, you know where I can find a good church? That's God at work. Get involved. Hey, I heard about this Jesus thing. I, I was watching, and, 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 you know, that Billy Graham thing was on the other night, and I watched it, and do you know anything about that? That's God at work. How do we know? No man comes to the Father except the Father draws them. When they start to answer, ask God questions, God's at work. You don't have to wonder, well, I wonder if God's at work. He's at work. Look for where God is at work around you. Number four, believe God can use you so you can get involved. God, use me. I want to be usable. If you will just get usable, God will wear you out. And then number five, adjust your life to the will of God. Now, this is the hard one because we don't want to adjust. You mean I got to come to church early? You mean I got to come to church on Wednesday night? You mean I got to, I got to, I got, I got to go to discipleship at 7 o'clock on Monday? I got to get discipleship Tuesday at 6 a.m.? Yeah, that's a little too much. You can do all these four, but if you're not willing to adjust your life to the will of God, you're going to still be searching for Jesus. You're going to miss him. And you're going to, the saddest part is you're going to miss what he has for you. And I don't ever want that to happen. Nobody here would ever want that to happen. So as a Christian, the question then is, are you willing to adjust your life to God and his kingdom's work so that he can best use you 
this year, 2023. What a great time to say, hey, God, I'm willing to start. Some of you say, I'm not there yet. Well, are you willing to be willing? I'm willing to be willing. Just start there. You can't give 15 minutes. Give five minutes. Surely you can give five minutes to the Lord every day. Have a prayer. Read some scripture. And move on. And look for God everywhere you go. If you're not a Christian, I want to ask you, are you open to God at work in your life? By opening a relationship with him, by trusting in him as your Savior and Lord, the one who lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we deserved and rose again on the third day and waits for you now to come to him. He has brought you here for a purpose and a plan. He is drawing you to to himself right here this morning. And I know that because no man comes except the Father draws him. Will you come to Christ and know him as Savior and Lord of your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us every day. And Lord, the sad thing is, is that we're looking in all the wrong places. So, Lord, we pray that we would look for what matters most that we find in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that even now, I follow you, serve you, please you, and honor you. If there's someone here that does not know you as Savior and Lord of their life, I pray that today might be the day when they surrender to you. They say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I know that Jesus died for my sin. I ask for forgiveness for my sin. That he rose again the third day. And I want him to be the Lord and the boss of my life. 24-7, 365. Whatever God is doing in your life, let him do it today. Amen. Let's stand and sing. God is speaking to you. We have two crosses in the back you can go to. Come to the altar.